Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This edition of the podcast leads off with someone who has written extensively about the origins of Christmas songs and traditions. Recently, Ace Collins returned to the Meeting House to explore the backgrounds of some of those carols that people enjoyed during the season. Material from that conversation is coming up. Then, it's important that parents of teenagers remain steadfast and encouraged as they seek to follow God's direction. Mark Gregston of Parenting Today's Teens provides some inspiring words. And on this edition of The Intersection, Alan Jackson of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, has insight into the days in which we live, highlighting challenges for Christians and providing encouragement to stand strong in the face of opposition to biblical truth. You'll be hearing his comments ahead. Finally, Kelly Chestnut is involved in the Ministry of Bible Translation in a key position at Wycliffe Bible Translators. She has a heart for people to grow in God's Word and relates how lives can change through Bible engagement, which includes those who respond when they receive the Word in their own language. You'll be hearing from her coming up. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Throughout the years, Ace Collins has written about the histories of various Christmas songs and traditions. For example, the book, Stories Behind the Best Love Songs of Christmas. Recently, Ace and I reunited to talk about Christmas carols and their backgrounds to provide inspiration for the season. Here now from that chat is Ace Collins. The way O Holy Night was saved, really, for the world and made such an important part of Christmas is a uniquely has a bit of an American bent to it, if you will, because it was brought to America in the 1840s and 50s, not as a Christmas song, but as a song that was anti-slavery. It was sung by abolitionists because in the third verse, there's there are lines that said, truly he taught us to love one another, his law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. The abolitionist movement seized upon that and sang that song a great deal year-round, by the way, about Christ. And after the Civil War, it became one of the most important hymns in America. It was one of the songs, by the way, that's, that stopped the uh, Franco-Prussian War when a Frenchman jumped out of a foxhole and started singing at one time. And they paused, and it, that was a song that really did bring peace on earth. You know, there's a story about Silent Night doing that in World War One. Well, this did it even before that as the two sides got together and celebrated Christmas. And then finally, in 1906, a man named Fessenden, he was a former employee of uh, Thomas Edison. He had worked with Marconi, did the impossible. He, everyone said, including Edison, that it was impossible to broadcast a human voice over the air and be picked up by a wireless system. And in Christmas Eve, 1906, Fessenden read the second chapter of Luke, and then picked up his violin, and the first song ever played on a radio mm. was O Holy Night with the violin. Imagine, if you will, being in newsrooms expecting Morse code, <laughs> or being on a ship expecting Morse code, and hearing this violin play O Holy Night on that Christmas Eve in 1906. It would have totally, completely freaked you out. I mean, you would have thought, you've been told it was impossible, and here was a man who created the transmitter 
who could do it. Silent Night is, a, is the song that we should not know. I mean, this is literally the Jesus Loves Me of Christmas carols, because everybody knows that it. it's been translated into more languages, sung by more people than any other Christmas song. Uh, Bing Crosby, by the way, had a number one song on it before he had a number one song on White Christmas. So Silent Night is very much an American tradition in that respect. Of course, it goes back 204 years to Orben, Obendorf, Austria, where a young priest, he was either 22 or 23 years old, named Joseph Mohr, M-O-H-R, was so excited because he was being put in charge of his first Christmas Eve mass. And he went to the church and he had basically spent weeks teaching choirs songs and, and working on all the different arrangements on the organ. And he got to the church and the organ didn't work. There are legends about mice eating the bellows. No, it was just an old organ. Okay, it quit working. It had been on the fritz for a while and finally died. He was in a panic. He raced across town to his friend who was a school teacher named Franz Gruber and said, Franz, look at what happened. What are we going to do? My whole service is around music. I'm going to be a failure. You can imagine the panic. And Gruber tried to calm him down and said, I'll play guitar. He said, the songs I picked out for the service don't work on guitar. And then the priest remembered a poem he had written two years before while visiting his uncle and walking through woods. And he found that poem. Okay, <clears throat> this is amazing, because if I had written that poem, I wouldn't even be able to find it. He knew where it was. He got it. Gruber put music to it, and it became the song that saved Silent Night in this little church in Obendorf, Austria. Well, we shouldn't know that song. It was a life, you know, it was a stopgap measure. But somebody had to fix the organ. And three weeks later, when this guy came by to fix the organ, he said, what did you do for Christmas music at during the services. And the priest picks up a guitar, plays the song, and sings it to him. The guy copies down the lyrics of then, Still He Knocked, Holligay Knocked, in its native tongue, <clears throat> and teaches that song everywhere he goes the next 30 years fixing organs. And so this priest, 50 years later, <clears throat> 30 years later when he's in his 50s, is walking down a, a street and hears his song coming from a cathedral. And he can't convince anybody he wrote it, by the way. <laughs> And eventually, you know, he finds the original manuscript and shows it to them and he gets credit for it as he's an old man having written this song. But he wasn't involved in pumping the song. He didn't try to get it published. It was this man who fixed organs who became the Johnny Appleseed of Silent Night. <laughs> and by the time the priest heard it in this cathedral, unbeknownst to him, it was being sung in the United States all around the globe. It had already been translated into 17 different languages, and the priest knew nothing about it. Ace Collins here on The Intersection. You can find him online at acecollins.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, from Heartlight Ministries, Mark Gregston, heard on the radio program Parenting Today's Teens, shared about some of the challenges that teenagers and their parents face and highlighted the devotional book, Daily Hope for Families, a Heartlight Devotional. Here now from that conversation is Mark Gregston. I've lived with 60 high school kids, and, and um, I learned something from each one of them. And um, good kids, just struggling, having a tough time, but God's placed them with us. And one of the benefits is I get to learn something from them to help their families. And so uh, really at the end of every radio program that that we have on our 30-minute program, I give kind of a 50-second summary of what the program was about and encouragement to parents and, and remember these things and hold on to these things and don't give up. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, hey, 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 
quit watching the news. Um, we know how the story ends, and we're going to be in a better place. And so what we did, what I did, was take all those closings to all the radio programs over the last 10 years, and I started to write from those just a devotion and find a scripture that would apply to each one. And so the book is a daily devotional, 365 days of, of encouragement uh, and hope to parents with the idea of this, just, just spend a little bit of time, just 30 seconds if you can, or one minute if you can, refocusing, uh, remembering your family, uh, remembering that, that, that your child is important and the role that you play is, is paramount. And um, and so that's really how the devotion book came along. It's it, it, it was a four year project for me. I wrote every word of it, and um, and it's something I'm very proud of. So, what would you say would be maybe one or two of the general recurring themes that you find among these these closing comments that you've given at the end of your broadcast, which eventually made it into Daily Hope for Families? Yeah, yeah. You know, the first thing would be this. Don't abandon your child when they struggle. You know, the tendency is we think that, that the kids are being rebellious. And, you know, quite honestly, and you mentioned it earlier in your question, I don't think they're being rebellious. I think they're lost. And so there's never a time that, that a child needs you more than during their adolescent years when they struggle through some of the difficulties. I mean, you and I have said it. We said, I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to grow up in this culture. Well, our kids do. And, it, and if we're going to share with them the gospel, we need to share with them our life as well, because they have become dear to us and, and, and because we want to be involved in their life. And so the example that we set, the, the way that we walk, um, you know, we get this idea that the Christian life is taught, but quite honestly, it's more caught than it is taught in the teen years. And so it's encouraging parents, remain engaged, be blameless, you know, encourage your child, offer grace and forgiveness, move toward them when they've offended you. Don't walk away, you know, knowing that, you know, all the seeds that you're sowing into the life of your child will one day come to fruition and God will complete the very things that he started in the life of your child. And you want to be a part of that. So, I mean, parents are needed during the teen years more than any other time in a child's life. And so that's the encouragement of the book. Mark Gregston here on The Intersection. The Parenting Today's Teens website address is parentingtodaysteens.org. The book website is dailyhopeforfamilies.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through The Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast and The Meeting House radio program. Also, through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to the Intersection podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. You'll also find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel, where you can find conversation highlights from guests on the Meeting House program. Plus, you can find links to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. 
Again, the website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Just search for Faith Radio Podcast when you visit Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and other podcast platforms. Alan Jackson is the senior pastor of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He is the author of the book, Big Trouble Ahead, A Real Plan for Flourishing in a Time of Fear and Deception. With insight on the times in which we live and the biblical response to them, this is Alan Jackson now. You know, this issue of the sexualization of our children, I really think it's helpful to put it back in the context of just a biblical worldview. Because I think the church, in many respects, has lost our way. And what we're watching as a result of a, is, a, is a fail of the church. I don't really—this is what, you know, pagan culture does. It's done it all through human history. And the redemptive story of Christianity was that it heightened our lives. It changed our view of marriage. It changed our view of family. It changed our view of human life and the dignity of every human life and why family matters. All of those were things that Christianity contributed to emerging culture, and it's brought stability to, to multiplied millions of people. And now we find ourselves in a place where that biblical worldview has been so eroded that its principles are no longer holding in place, and we're watching the degradation of our families and our marriages, and now we see the vulnerability of our children. But just a, you know, a casual view of history, it's not a new place. We've been here before, and the solution is the same. We have to take our faith and bring it back into the world. So I, my, my first message to the listeners is I don't want to be angry at politicians or parties or even people who have a worldview different from you. Let's start with the humility to recognize that hmm. we have failed to be the salt and light we were called to be. If we can do that and imagine that if we will change, then God will intervene and bring the changes that will protect our children. It's a hopeful place and not a frightening place. We're not the first culture to find ourselves in the weeds. Now, to plainly, what's happening to our children is evil. The sexualization of our children, the, the, the mutilation of our prepubescent children because of gender confusion or purported gender confusion is evil. And I don't believe it should be understood in any other way. My father was a veterinarian, so I grew up with a lot of animals, you know, puppies and kittens and calves and foals, and that was very much a part of my life. And, you know, if you're getting a puppy for a child or a grandchild, one of the first questions you'll ask is, is it male or female? And if the person you're securing the puppy from is confused about that, I would suggest you find another provider because it's not confusing. I've been there when lots and lots of puppies were delivered or kittens or whatever. And one of the first questions, is it male or female? And it's not confusing. And it's not confusing with babies either. I don't doubt that there are people who struggle with confusion around their gender. And I have tremendous compassion for those persons. But I don't think we should imagine that's a normative condition, and I absolutely don't believe we should encourage it in our children. And to do so is abdicating our responsibility as parents and as adults and gatekeepers in our culture. So the church has to find our voice. I think we've been a little frightened or intimidated. I, I don't, I'm sure there's many reasons, but this is not a complicated issue. 
and the, the church is going to have to have the clarity. We can't step away from our biblical worldview. You know, our culture is redefining things. But a biblical worldview hasn't been redefined. God defined marriage. The government didn't do that. If you're a Christian, we're not su- subject first to the government. We're subject first to the authority of God. And he defined marriage. He created us male and female. I had a meeting this week with a psychiatrist from New York, and she said they have 31 recognized gender categories in the state. Alan Jackson here on The Intersection. You can find him online at Alan, A-L-L-E-N, Jackson.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's the Director of Spiritual Development at Wycliffe Bible Translators, Kelly Chestnut. In our conversation, she discussed the book she co-wrote called Deeply Rooted, Stories of Lives Rooted in Scripture, and talked about the importance of growing in God's Word and emphasizing those who have received the Bible in their own language through Bible translation. Here now from that recent Meeting House conversation is Kelly Chestnut. We actually started this book as a series of devotionals for our staff uh, because we're passionate about seeing people uh, deeply rooted in scripture and their lives transformed as a result. Uh, And we don't want that just for the language communities that we're seeking to serve, but we also want that within our own staff, that as we continue to engage in the word, uh, God continues to transform us. And uh, it's a beautiful process. But, you know, with the last name of Chestnut, uh, you can imagine the jokes and comments that are made to us, particularly at this time of year. (laughs) Uh, We have plenty of people singing Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Uh, So for 35 years, John and I have been married and um, I've been not stuck with this last name, but I've embraced this last name. Uh, And so years ago, it got me thinking about the chestnut tree and the roots that they grow. And I learned along the way that many nut trees, including the chestnut tree, have just one main root, almost like a a skinny carrot. And this main root needs to be planted in a hole that's wide and deep so that it can grow well. And then the tree needs fertile soil for good growth with lots of nutrients and water in order for it to thrive. Well, the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. We need to be able to grow deep roots in him, building our lives in the rich soil of his word. But how do people grow deep roots with God when they don't have access to scripture in a language and format they understand? And so that's what we are about at Wycliffe. And this book, Deeply Rooted, tells stories of lives that have been deeply rooted in scripture in such a way that the reader not only uh, learns about communities who have been impacted by God's word in their own language, but they're able to stop and reflect on scripture's impact in their own language. And Kelly, as you were sharing earlier, I was thinking about, and I believe it's in Psalm 119, about the entrance of God's words bringing light to us. And I can just imagine a community of people somewhere in the world, various places in the world, really, that have not previously known the scriptures. And all of a sudden, God's word comes into their community, into their consciousness. And that brings a light. It brings a hope into their lives. And as I understand it, this book actually contains some stories of people that have had that experience of the light of Christ coming into their lives through his word. Absolutely. We've got uh, several stories. Well, every day has a new and different story. Ah. Uh, and it's, it's fun to read and see how God meets people at their point of need. And he ministers to their hearts and minds and he draws them to himself. And he does so through the scriptures that are in their language. 
And so as we think about the impact, were there some common threads as you put together these stories, as you compile the information for this book, as far as the effect of God's word coming into these people's lives all over the world? Well, every story tells a portion of how lives have been changed and not just individual lives, but communities. Uh, we have a friend, um, Pastor Peter Munguti, uh, who says that when you when you speak a foreign language, uh, it goes to a person's head. But when you speak to that same person in their language, uh, a language they can understand, it goes to the heart. And that's really what Bible translation is all about. We don't want to just see minds transformed. We want to see hearts transformed. And as hearts engage with scripture, uh, they are, people are more in, able to, um, to cope with life circumstances. You know, that hope that you just talked about, uh, this world is longing for hope and for peace. And this month in particular, as we, um, celebrate Christmas, that's, you know, what, what do people want for Christmas world peace? Mm. Uh, they want hope, you know, the, the unattainable apart from Christ. Kelly Chestnut here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the book as well as the companion journal called Digging Deeper, a deeply rooted companion journal at Wycliffe, W-Y-C-L-I-F-F-E dot O-R-G or shop dot Wycliffe.org. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. Through that homepage, you can access the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast and The Meeting House Program. You can also find links to The Intersection Podcast, to The Media Center, as well as the Apple Podcast feed. You can find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel, as well as to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.